ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Rizzotto. What is going on, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 118 of RizzoCast. I'm Steven Rizzotto, and today we are joined by a very special guest. He played in parts of 16 years at the big league level with the Yankees, Angels, and Giants, and also Red Sox, too. He is a six-time Gold Glove Award-winning first baseman and a member of the Giants Wall of Fame. You see the Gold Gloves there behind him. Uh, if you're listening, you don't get that uh, prestige honor, but if you're watching, you could see all the awards behind him. It's JT Snow, and JT joins the show. JT, how you doing? Welcome. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Uh, so we're recording this on, uh, it's October 14th right now. We're right in the midst of the uh, MLB postseason. Are you keeping up with everything that's kind of going on around the league right now? I do. Uh, I think postseason baseball is my favorite playoff scenario of, of any of the sports um baseball is unique in that it's series right your three game series of first round and I, I like the new format this year and now we're to the best of five and then we'll go to the best of seven so uh, i love it I, I keep up to date um you know i played for terry francona in boston who was probably people ask me who's my favorite manager I ever played for and even though i only played in boston for three months i'd put him at the top he's just such a great guy uh, we have something in common. We both went to the university of Arizona. He's a little bit ahead of me, but, uh, I had a great time there. So, and then, uh, I've, I'm friends with Aaron Boone. I've played in golf tournaments with him and we grew up in the same area in orange County. He's a little younger than I am, but we played against each other. He was a PAC 10 guy at USC. And then you just go to the different, the different teams and, uh, Dodgers with Dave Roberts and, uh, all the, I played for Dusty, obviously with the Astros and, Scott Service was a teammate of mine with the Giants for a couple of years. So it's fun to see him and Dusty go at it. So I love the postseason baseball. I, uh, I, I watch most of the games. I, I love to see which guys can relax and produce. You know, it's not always the, the best player that it's some unsung hero. And it's the guys that uh, can, can relax and not make the moment too big. So I love the postseason. Yeah. And, and you mentioned Dusty, you know, he's one of your former managers, as you mentioned, and he's, arguably got the most stacked Houston team since he's taken over. He's been there a few times, but since he's taken over, this might be his best roster there in Houston. And as someone who kind of played for him and got to know him a little bit personally, I mean, what would it be like just to see him win one? Because I think he has the most wins out of any manager who's not in the hall of fame that doesn't have a championship. So just one for dusty. How, how would that, how would, how would you like to see that? Yeah, I think that's all I need. I think he's got a great chance this year. Um, you know, we came close in 02 when he was our manager with the Giants. Uh, he was with the Cubs and the Reds, but um, he deserves it. I, I think he's got a great team. But the thing I like about the Astros is they can hit. And in a, a, a day and age now where we've seen batting averages down and uh, not a lot of offense, I think uh, the analytics part has gotten involved a little too much, in my opinion. In that, but if you look at the Astros up and down the lineup, these guys can hit um, Alvarez and Bregman and uh, Guriel and all those guys. Uh, they're putting up numbers, hitting 30 homers and driving in 90 to 100. So they're kind of old school. And uh, we've seen it in the first two games with the Mariners that uh, don't pitch to Alvarez, right? He'll make you pay. So uh, 
maybe Dusty gets it this year. Uh, he, he definitely deserves one. Yeah, and Jordan Alvarez is a beast. I mean, I'm glad you yeah. brought him up. He's just – he's so balanced at the plate. He hits tanks. He hits good pitching, you know, left on left against Robbie Ray in that wild card series to send them to the division series. So he's someone to watch out for for sure. Is there anybody else that you're looking for this postseason that that kind of, you know, has caught your eye? Um, well, I was excited to see how Aaron Judge would do after the year he had. And I was watching the game the other day. He struck out four times today against the Guardians. Uh, it's hard, you know. He comes in with a lot of a lot of pressure on him. And sometimes those guys, I, I, I played with Barry Bonds for a lot of years. And he was a guy that struggled in the postseason mightily for a lot of years with the Pirates and the Giants until he kind of figured it out at the end. But I was anxious to see how Judge would do. Um, I'm a National League guy. I'm really in tune to the Dodgers and the Padres. Uh, series it's it's been good so far and uh, the Dodgers are tough they're like the Astros they got guys that hit they're old school they can swing the bats at homers drive and runs but uh, I think in the postseason it, it really comes down to starting pitching how the manager uses the bullpen and then you got to be able to catch the ball on defense you know the teams that catch it on defense and give the other teams 27 outs are, are going to win so uh, it's managing the bullpen catching the ball and somebody will come along and get a big hit. So I'm excited to watch the Padres and Dodgers tonight. Uh, people in San Diego are great fans. It's a great city. I know they're going to be excited to uh, Petco tonight. So if you're a team that, let's say you're a player uh, and a team that doesn't make it to postseason and you're a player on that team, are you still flipping the TV on in October or are you completely checked out at this point? You know, 162 games is a long time. Maybe it's a good yeah. rest for you. What are you doing if you're not in postseason? I think guys probably peek at the TV and watch and they're probably interested in what's going on. Um, a lot of guys have played with other teams, right. Have been traded or signed as free agents that uh, maybe have played with one of these playoff teams. So, you know, after the season, uh, guys take vacations, get away from it. But I, I think wherever you're at, you, you kind of, and with all the, the media nowadays that we have our, our cell phones and et cetera, we have quick access to check on the games and follow it. So, um, I like to follow it. I just, I'm a fan of baseball. Even when I played and was out of the postseason, I like to see who was doing what. So, uh, like I said, it's, it's my favorite postseason of all the sports. Uh, I think, uh, I think baseball and, and hockey are my favorite because hockey is a lot like baseball where there's, you know, series, you got to win so many games. So, um, yeah, it's fun. And it's not predetermined either. Like NBA, we know who's going to be in the finals every right. year. And, you know, these teams, they rest their big stars down the stretch in the NBA. And football, I think, kind of is the same way. Football relies a lot on health. Baseball does too, but baseball is a lot of luck. So uh, I can't wait to watch this postseason. I agree with you. And speaking of not making the postseason, the Giants, they finish 81 and 81 in 2022 for the first time in franchise history. It's kind of crazy to think that they've never finished at 500 in the season and they couldn't follow up that 107 win uh, 2021 campaign uh, where it seemed like everything was going right. So as someone who, who may have watched a few games from afar, I'm sure you have, and is somewhat connected to the organization, how would you kind of assess this kind of year that they just had? Well, I think coming after or coming off last year, it was a, it was a huge disappointment. I think that, uh, you know, but every year is different. Uh, Players are not robots. Sometimes you have good years and next year you come back and something's off. You can't figure it out. Uh, I do watch a lot of the Giants games. I, I keep in, uh, involved with what they're doing a little bit. And uh, 
to me, it was, I think the two things that stood out this year were the offense and defense. They had pretty decent pitching. Uh, I think they were near the bottom of the National League and, and the MLB in defense. Uh, Crawford's still doing his thing, but you saw a lot of mistakes on a nightly basis, a lot of errors. And then offensively, it just there just didn't seem to be a, a steady lineup. I think when you look at these teams in the playoffs, they go with their lineup. They've got a, a leadoff guy. They've got a number three hitter. They've got a cleanup hitter that protects the three hitter. And every, for me, every night with the Giants lineup, there was something different. And um, I know they have the most coaches in the MLB in their dugout. Uh, I know they're heavily into analytics, which I'm not a huge fan of all the analytics. I think some of it is good, but can get in the way. But I know when we played, a lot of it depends on what I was playing. I didn't even look at the lineup when I went into the to the uh, clubhouse that night. I knew I was hitting fifth or sixth. Sometimes I might be bumped up to third. I knew he was hitting behind me to give me protection. Um and I just didn't see that with the Giants lineup. It was just a rotating, some, a guy sitting a leadoff one night and then he's sitting fourth. And then he, that's really hard on players. And I think you don't get into a rhythm. So um, I think that was the biggest thing was, was the offense. And they need, uh, you know, they need run producers. They need guys that drive in 90, 100. They need to get the batting averages up over, you know, nowadays guys are hitting 230 and 240. And um, so I, you know, I, I, at times I kind of questioned what was going on with the lineup and where guys were hitting. Yeah, it was a little bit different, and, and they, they did a lot of the same things that they did in 2021, but they weren't all healthy. And one thing you mentioned about the defense is that it wasn't just it's not just, it wasn't just anything you could just look at in the box score. There were nights where I would leave the ballpark and I would go, you know, God, that guy has no range at second base or, you know, that was a slowly hit ball that he couldn't get to, you know, and it would, it would be the little things or the outfielders, you know, through the wrong base and a guy could have been thrown out at the plate, but he scored. Um, and I guess we'll have to see how that gets cleaned up. I think it, it gets addressed by getting younger and more athletic. Um, and speaking of how it gets addressed, there's one big name that's surrounding this Giants offseason, and I, I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. Aaron Judge, obviously, with the, the 62 home runs and, you know, breaking the American League record. And everybody's like, oh, the Giants are going to go and, and spend and throw 10 years and $350 million at him. Is that something you see happening? Or do you see the Giants front office kind of going more towards the path of adding five or six pieces to their offense and their bullpen, maybe? Where do you see them going this offseason? I, I don't think they'll sign judge. I don't think one guy can ba baseball is a lineup with nine guys. Now with the DH and the pitcher not hitting one guy is going to hit four times during a game. Um, Oracle park is not the friendliest hitters ballpark. Uh, I haven't played there. I played there six years and you lose a lot of home runs on an nightly basis. It's cold. <laughs> it's windy. You wearing sleeves. I, the, the Yankees would be crazy to let judge go. Judge hits in a great ballpark, short right field. He can take the ball out anywhere in that stadium. He's not going to be able to take it out anywhere at Oracle park. So I think all the talk, I know he grew up a giants fan and they're uh, Barry bonds and Richard really fan, but I, I don't see it happening. If I was spending the money, I would go, I would go get myself three, four solid young players, develop them, not even develop them, just let them play, put them in the lineup every night. The game has gotten so with the analytics, uh, righty versus either righty versus lefty, lefty versus righty. That, Guys are in the lineup one night. They're out of the lineup the next night. We we used to just play. We were 
you know, we, I, I'd get a, a night off against a tough lefty or Randy Johnson or somebody like that, but you got to let guys play. You got to let them get their rhythm. And some, some nights you're going to go 0 for 3 or 0 for 4, but you might have good at bats and that'll carry into the next day. So I've always said, give me on a baseball team, give me seven, six or seven really good players. You know, if you're, if you're grading them one to 10, give me six or seven guys that are seven or eights instead of one guy that's a 10 and a bunch of guys that are six and fives and, uh, and we'll beat you. And we all know at Oracle pitching is huge. So you got to have a, a great starting pitching staff. Um, I think Rodon might be gone. Um, so anyways, I don't, I don't see Aaron judge in a giants uniform next year. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All, all the fans are throwing their, their phones right now and listening to this now. Um, and, and I get it. I, I get that you're, it seems like you're not a big launch angle or exit velocity guy, but would you have used any of the other information that's kind of been infiltrated into the game? So like, you know, say for example, pregame, you get a report that, Oh, this guy's throwing, you know, 70% change up and this guy's throwing, you know, 30% slider what kind of information would you use if you had played today and, and how would you kind of learn to filter that? Cause once the game starts, it's kind of hard yeah. to remember everything. I don't know how these guys do See, it. When we played, we knew what launch angle was and we knew if we were hitting balls or were carried to the warning track, then you knew, Hey, you know, I just got to get the, the back underside of the ball a little more. Maybe I changed my swing, my launch angle. Maybe I, I can lift a little bit. We, we knew all that stuff when we played, it just wasn't, pushed in front of us and um we we knew when we hit a ball hard we we didn't know our exit velocity but heck i'll, I'll take two hits and leave the bat at 80 miles an hour instead of <laughs> three at bats where they're outs you know at 100 miles an hour so i think things get and I, I wasn't a big uh data guy i didn't early on i got involved with a little bit of oh this guy throws this percent of fastballs and this count or change-ups then you go into the game with too much information i want to know what pitches does he throw? Okay, he throws a fastball, he cuts it or he sinks it. He throws a curveball and a changeup, maybe a slider. But I was, um, I was picky to what I wanted to do with the plate, where I was looking for the ball. I was a low ball hitter, so I I try to attack the zone down, whether it was a fastball, changeup, any ball down in the zone I'm swinging at. Um, never want to get beat with two strikes on a fastball inside. You see it all the time nowadays. Guys are taking strike threes. Never, never did we want to get beat with a fastball inside. And you have to know the book on yourself and how teams pitch you. When I played, teams would start me out away and then they'd pound me in hard late in the count. And I knew that. Um, I think the, the pitchers taking nothing away from the guys nowadays. It, we're seeing a lot of guys throw 100 miles an hour. But I think when I played, the pitchers could locate just a little bit better. There wasn't that quite that velocity. Um, but nowadays, guys are throwing as hard as they can, as long as they can. I don't know if that's the best solution. We had guys that could locate, and guys would sink it and cut it, uh, whether it was 91 or 88 or 95. So you had to uh, you had to be ready for location. And nowadays, I think guys are more or less throwing. They're trying to light up the radar gun, and that can backfire sometimes. So um, not that one generation is better than the other, but the game ha- the game has changed, and there's just there's a lot of information nowadays. And I think sometimes a guy might be cruising along and then somebody puts something in front of their face saying, Hey, when you do this, you have better results. And then the guy tries it and maybe it doesn't work. And now they're kind of lost. They don't know. Uh, well, I was successful doing it this way, but now I'm trying it this way. Cause that's what the numbers say. And now I'm kind of 
back to you know square one when you got to go with your strengths know who you are and just and just keep repeating it and get getting better at it and um, whether it's a hitter controlling your strike zone or pitcher controlling your strike zone that's the that's the beauty of baseball yeah maybe there's a little bit more throwing than pitching nowadays and, and one thing that i want to know is that you know i've seen it so many times where you know we we see the launch angle swing and you know Cody Bellinger, for example, against Camilo Duvall last in last year's postseason in the 2021 uh, division series. Um, Duvall, obviously a big flamethrower. He was throwing sliders down and in the Bellinger. And I think everybody was like, you know, what's going on? That's going right into his swing path. Right. And, and I was thinking in my mind, I was like, with with the way that these guys are trying to keep the ball in the air and off the ground, because like the 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 method is and I hear it all the time. Ground balls don't pay. And, you know, OPS, you want to hit the ball over everything. Um, and I keep thinking to myself, why don't pitchers attack up in the zone with the fastball more? Like, we don't mm-hmm. see it enough. Instead, we see, you know, maybe sliders down and in the lefties, which in my mind makes no sense. What do you think about maybe the lack of high fastballs today? That's something that just came to mind. Yeah, I think that um, – so when I was playing, if – the pitcher would look at the way the guy stood at the plate, right? If you carried your hands high, you probably wanted the ball down in the zone. And so you would, you would pitch a guy up in the zone with high hands. If a guy held his hands low, then you pitched him up in the zone. So it's, it's whatever the opposite is, because if his hands are low, he probably wants the ball down low. Uh, so that was one thing pitchers did. And I remember facing guys like Greg Maddox and Kurt Schilling and uh, Tom Glavin and, and all those guys. They would look at where you stood in the box, how you held your hands, what your stance was like. Are you going to crouch? Are you standing straight up? Are you on your backside a lot? Do you have a leg kick? And they're trying to disrupt your timing. Um, pitchers didn't throw a lot of sliders, right-handers to left-handers back in the day because that would break into your barrel. And if you're a low-ball hitter, uh, I've never understood. Uh, you watch a lot of these games, just constantly fly balls after fly balls or pop-ups. You know, when you hit a hard ground ball, three things have to happen. The guy's got to field it, he's got to throw it, and the guy on the other end's got to catch it. When you hit a fly ball, one thing happens, the guy's got to catch it. And uh, big league outfielders and infielders are too good. They're not going to drop a lot of fly balls. So we, I still believe that hard contact, line drives, hard ground balls, um, and just the, the fly balls you're seeing, it goes back to my point earlier about guys' batting averages and, and production. You're seeing guys with, 25 home runs and 68 RBIs. You know, that didn't happen back in the day. Um, one year I had 19 homers and 96 RBIs. Uh, one year I had 15 homers and 80. And one year I had 24 homers and 104. So we, we knew how to drive in runs. And we did it with line drives. A man on third and less than two out. We hit a hard ground ball the infield, scored the run. Man on third infield. We hit a fly ball the outfield, scored the run. Uh, and it's for me as a hitter, it's frustrating nowadays to see guys with 30 home runs and, and 80 RBIs. Back in the day, guys were 30 home runs and 120. Um, so that's just the way the game changed. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. If if somebody approached me, I was a line drive gap guy with occasional power. And if they want me to hit more fly balls, I, I think I would resist it and probably have a little argument with them. But that's not who I am, you know. So, but guys keep doing it. and. That's just the way the game is nowadays. 
All right. Well, let's get into your career a little bit. Uh, your dad, uh, Jack Snow, played 10 years as a uh, wide receiver for the Los Angeles Rams back in the uh, the 60s and 70s. And I mean, that's a pretty extensive athletic background that, that you're coming from. And I imagine he, you know, he, he pushed you in, in some ways. What was his impact on your life like as a kid growing up? Uh, it was huge. And the, the one thing I will say to you that he never pushed me in, in anything. And I think you see that a lot of times with professional athletes and a lot of their sons end up making it because the dads know how hard it is to sacrifice the commitment um, so that you don't push your son because to expect them to be a professional athlete is pretty unfair. Uh, my dad never pushed me. He introduced me to all the sports. I was a lucky kid growing up, going to the Coliseum on Sundays and watch my dad play football. Um, he retired. I was like eight years old. So I remember a few good years in there and I thought it was pretty cool and thought, you know, something that maybe I want to do someday. And I got to hang out in the locker room and meet the players and get on the sidelines every now and then go to practice. So, um, yeah, I just, I just love sports growing up. I played football, basketball, baseball. I played soccer growing up. They all uh, benefited the other sport. Uh, nowadays it's tough for me to look at kids and they're playing baseball travel ball for 10 months of the year and they're just getting burned out. I wish they wouldn't do that, but he was a big influence. Um, when I got into high school and started having some success, he was teaching me some things and um, work ethic and, you know, how to put the work in and stay after and do a little extra than everybody else. He was always big on the mental side of the game. I think that's one of the strengths I had when I played was through ups and downs. I, I stayed mentally strong and he was always big on that. He always the first thing he would always ask me when he would call or check in when I was in the big leagues or coming up through the minor leagues or even in college playing at the university of Arizona and having some struggles. He would always say, how are you doing mentally? I was like, well, I'm down. I'm, I'm second guessing myself on my confidence. And he would always work with me on that and just believe in yourself. And so, yeah, it was fun. And my dad was a pretty good high school baseball player growing up uh, in long beach, California. And, he chose to go play football, played at Notre Dame, and like you said, played for the Rams. Uh, I think he played for 11 years, 65 to 76. And uh, and then when I got to the big leagues, he was my biggest fan. And it was fun for me to bring him to the ballpark and come in the clubhouse. And uh, he was so nervous watching me play. Even the couple of playoff series we were in and in the World Series, he was a nervous wreck. So, uh, But it was fun. It was a, it was a great childhood. Um, yeah. And uh, – we lost him a few years ago, so I miss him every day, but uh, he was my biggest fan and my biggest influence. You said a few things there that stuck out. You mentioned that kids are playing baseball year-round, which I've seen. Uh, I, you played three sports in high school. You're the quarterback your yeah. senior year. You're point guard basketball, played baseball. Is like the three-sport athlete dead? or the two <laughs> Even the two-sport athlete you don't really see a lot of because – I, this is on the side here, this is a side rant, but uh, I think a lot of high school coaches like despise the fact that, you know, oh, a basketball coach can't stand the fact that maybe, you know, somebody's playing baseball in his program. Like he needs them for basketball, you know? So it's, it's stuff like that, that happens. And there's a lot of peer pressure going into it, but what happened to the multi-sport athlete? I feel like it's gone out the window. I think you're right. It has, you know, I was lucky in high school to have my dad on my side because I had coaches pulling me one way or the other summer camps and this and that. My dad just went up to the coaches and said, listen, my kid's going to play all three sports. He can help you in all of them. Like when football's over, then he'll join the basketball team. When basketball's over, he'll come out for baseball. 
And then in the summer, he'll partake in the camps that will divvy him up a third, a third, a third. And so I was lucky to have my dad and the coaches didn't really argue because my dad knew what he was talking about because he'd been a, at the highest level. <laughs> I think some of the kids nowadays, their parents could probably get intimidated. The coaches probably intimidate them and uh, they're putting all their eggs in one basket. So I, uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, football taught me about toughness and uh, showing up and being a, a part, you know, of a, of an offense and a defense basketball was about great footwork and conditioning and baseball was totally separate than all of them, right? You're, you're by yourself out there hitting or in the field and it's four at bats a game. So they're all different, but they all ended up. And um, the one interesting thing was when I went to the university of Arizona, our, our coaches there, they had a philosophy that they tried to recruit kids that play multiple sports because once they got to baseball, they were going to get better just playing the sport full time. And that's what happened with me is when I went to the university of Arizona, I was pretty raw, pretty green, three sport athlete. And then when I just started playing baseball only, I, I got better and better each year. I really got into, I wasn't burned out and um, I got drafted by the Yankees, went into their minor league system and um, climbed the ladder, you know, rookie ball, single A, double A, triple A, did the whole thing. And it worked out. So um, show me a kid that can, that's a good athlete that can play more than one sport. And uh, I'll show you somebody that when he gets in that one sport down the line, he's going to get better and better. Yeah. And your guy, Kenny Lofton, another example of a yep. really good basketball player at Arizona. So um, yeah, no, definitely. And, and you mentioned, yeah, obviously drafted by the Yankees in 89, debuted in 92, and then traded after that season to the Angels, where, you know, that's home, you know, you're going back to SoCal. Yeah. I mean, was that the best, uh, best case scenario for you going back to California? Because I mean, you were blocked by a pretty good first baseman in New York at that time. Uh, or, or was going home something that maybe you had dreaded? Because I know a lot of guys <laughs> can't deal with going home. At first, I thought it was great uh, because, like you said, I was blocked by Don Mattingly in the Yankees organization. I was in AAA and had my best year, uh, played in Columbus and was the International League MVP. I won a batting title, was voted best defensive first baseman in the league. And then here I am stuck behind Don Mattingly, who, uh, in, in my mind, is should be in the Hall of Fame for all the stuff he did. Um, I have different views of the Hall of Fame than that we vote on now. But... Uh, that's why you have an agent. My agent went to work for me and uh, we worked a, a trade to the angels. And at the time I thought it was great. And then when I went back, it was probably the hardest thing and not the best thing for me because I grew up 20 minutes from Anaheim stadium. And then I was gone for three years of college, four years in minor leagues. Now I'm back home and every night at the stadium in the stands were uh, friends, buddies, uh, high school math teacher, um, you know, catechism teacher knew me from when I was six years old. And it, it really was hard. It took a lot of my time. And I had a hard time saying no to people. And then I struggled, got sent back to AAA, came back. And then the best thing that ever happened to me was getting traded up to the Giants and getting away from my hometown and all the people that I knew and just go up there by myself and, and work on my game and, and kind of get away from everybody. So going back to the Angels was hard. At, at first, I thought it was going to be great which it was, but then a couple trips back to AAA and then um, a couple years in the big leagues full-time and get traded to the, the Giants was, was probably the best thing that happened for me. But it was tough going back home and playing. I think 
I tell people, if you can go back home at the end of your career, when you're already established, maybe you've made a pretty good living and you're pretty secure, go have fun and go back to your hometown. When you're starting off as a young player, it's really hard. Yeah, no doubt. I'd, I'd imagine. And did, did you grow up an angel fan or a Dodger fan? I was early on. I was a Dodger fan because they were always good, right? Seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, shoot. I can still reel off their, their whole team, you know, Garvey at first and Dusty was in left field. Uh, Lopes at second, Billy Russell at short, Ron Say, Steve Yeager on the plate. My favorite Dodger was probably Reggie Smith because he was a switch hitting outfielder. But I love Steve Garvey and all those guys. And then um, as I got older, they were always the, the Dodgers always playing the Yankees. It seemed like in the World Series, going up against Reggie Jackson and all those. And then as I got older, my my teen years and junior high and high school years, kind of switched over to the Angels because they were closer to home and got to go to more of those games and got to watch guys like. Uh, Rod Carew when he was with the Angels and Don Baylor. My favorite Angel was Bobby Gritch, the second baseman. He was a, a Long Beach guy that was always getting his uniform dirty and playing hard. And my dad always told me, watch Bobby Gritch play. He's a Long Beach guy. He's tough. And But I was real fortunate because when I came up with the Angels, Rod Carew was my hitting coach in the big league, so I grew up watching. And then when I got to the Giants, Dusty Baker was my manager who I watched. So I was real fortunate. I had a really uh, cool big league experience with especially with those two guys who I watched as a kid and now they're coaching me. Yeah. It was funny. I was talking to, when I had Joe Madden on, we actually talked about, um, we had, we had mentioned the angels and everything. And, and he had mentioned that, um, where was I going with that thought? <laughs> I don't remember. Somebody so, that he grew up watching or no, he, he was, he was, he was talking. Yeah. He was, that's what it was. He was talking about how he wanted, Long Beach guys. So something brought up Evan Longoria, yeah. right? And something yeah. brought up Longoria and uh, and he was like, oh yeah, Long Beach State dirtbag. And then he's like, do yep. you know that, you know, I told our scouting director, you know, wherever I went, especially with the Angels, that, you know, you could, you could have the first, second, third, fourth, fifth round, but I want a Long Beach State guy somewhere mixed yeah. in. Because Long Beach State guys, they play baseball. Orange County, there's the baseball scene in Orange County so significantly popular and so competitive that I want a Long Beach State guy on my team and in my system every year. So I guess something about Long Beach. It's it's a great place to grow up and guys, you know, it's it it might get a bad rap because it's, you know, it's the beach and I grew up in Seal Beach, which is right next door to Long Beach. And I went to Los Alamitos High School, which they have a pretty darn good football program now. But um yeah, the Long Beach guys, man, we get after it. And um What am I, what am I, and the Orange County players, like, uh, I was talking about Aaron Boone earlier. He, he's from El Dorado High School. He went to high school with Phil Nevin, who's managing the Angels, and his brother, Brett Boone, and uh, one of my favorite players in the big leagues right now, and for a long time, has been Nolan Arenado. He's a, he's a Orange County guy, born in Newport. I think he went to El Toro High School down in South Orange County, but that guy, that guy can play, and you watch him play, and he's a throwback, and um, yeah, it, ironic thing was when I was at Arizona my junior year, we lost to Long Beach State in the regionals to go to Omaha. They beat us. And I was so dejected because I got a, a scholarship offer out of high school to go to Long Beach State, uh, but I wanted to go away to school. So I ended up going down to Tucson. And uh, yeah, Joe's right. Uh, long Beach has got a long history. Guys play hard and uh, yeah, and, and guys are tough coming out of there. Yeah. Orange County, man. And I guess the hot spot, the equivalent to Orange County in the Bay area would, there's no equivalent, but if I were to, to think of a competitive, you know, place in the Bay area to play baseball, I think it would be either 
the East Bay. East Bay's got some good baseball, or the Peninsula's got some really good baseball as mm-hmm. well. So, um, but nothing sticks, nothing compares to Orange County baseball for sure. Um, and and at first base, you know, you were known throughout your career as you know an elite defensive player. You know, the Gold Gloves. We see a little bit of them behind you. Uh, and usually defense isn't isn't valued at a position at first base uh, compared to you know what they expect from you offensively. How did defense become something that that you got really that you really excelled at in terms of putting in the work and uh, trying to make yourself the best possible defensive first baseman? How did that come about? Well, there's there's no secret. It was just a lot of hard work. It was a lot of time. And once again, with my dad, we would go to when I was in little league the field, and we'd always hit and he'd throw me BP for hours and he would always hit me ground balls and he'd always throw me balls in the dirt and I'd worked on picking it and um, I might have been blessed a little bit born with some decent hands from my father who had great hands in the NFL but uh, just hard work I I worked at it I took ground balls every day and I was real lucky that I was coming up uh, during a time when the position was evolving Uh, it wasn't the the big fat slow guy they could just bang the ball over the field and couldn't feel this position. When I came up, um, guys that I looked up to, uh, Wally Joyner with the Angels was a, uh, and these left-handed guys, Will Clark, Mark Grace, um, you know, all these guys were good fielders, good hitters, not necessarily big power guys, but could drive in runs. And when I got into college and then into the minor leagues, you know, coaches told me that you, you can make it. You can, you, you save a lot of, a lot of, butts over there at first base from their infielders, bad throws and turning three, six, three double plays, uh, picking balls in the dirt, being able to uh, do relays and cutoffs and bunt plays. And then offensively, just get your hits, get your hits, drive in runs, hit a, hit a home run every now and then, uh, hit that ball in the gap and hit for a little bit of average. So I, I was lucky that when I came up, the position was evolving and, guys like Rafael Palmero and all those, those left-handed guys. I really watched them and studied them. Um, so Wally Joyner was probably my favorite growing up because I grew up in uh, an Angel fan and watched him in 86. I was my senior year in high school. And um, all those guys just could pick it, handle their position defensively and could, could hit a little bit. So, um, but it's just, it's hard work. You know, it's putting in the time. It's fielding ground balls and, um knowing that your infielders trust you. And I used to just tell them just, just to get it close to first base. So let me make the play. I got the biggest glove on the team. Just make a play and throw it and get it close to me. And I'll, I'll do the rest of footwork and stretch it and that. So, um, yeah, I was pretty lucky. And I love watching guys nowadays play the position. There's a, there's a few guys in the big leagues that are really good and they're fun to watch. And when someone's really good over there, you don't really notice it. Right. It, it makes everybody else look better. But when you have a guy over there that's not really that good, you kind of stick out. So I love watching guys play first base that are smooth around the bag. And um, yeah, it's, it's a fun position if you, if you put your mind and your heart and your soul into it and, and want to get better. And we hear on the broadcast every night still those three six three double plays. Uh, Kruko would say, "You know who, you know who would turn those better than anybody, partner?" And he would go, "JT Snow." So uh, you it helps hear. be left-handed. It helps be left-handed also. I'm partial to the left-handed first baseman. You know, fielding bunts, getting that throw on the way to second base. Your glove is on your right hand, so we don't have to turn. Uh, we could just make it look. We can make it look smooth. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I enjoy playing. I had fun. And one of the things I always tried to do when I tell kids is you got to separate your offense from the defense and whether you strike out or hit a home run, leave that bat in the dugout and grab your glove. And now you, you owe it to the pitcher and you owe it to your infielders to be committed out there, to be in tune with what's going on and to, to give a great effort on defense because you can control your defense. I can control being ready for a ball hit to me. I can control anticipating. I can control where I play defensively based on what pitch is coming. Um, I'm watching the catcher signs. Offense, we're, we're at the mercy of the pitcher. We got we to gotta react to the pitcher throws. It. So defense is something you can control and you should always be um, out there uh, mentally into it and, and in tune and never be surprised. Yeah, no doubt about it. And um, so anyway, traded to the Giants. Um, you know, they, they open the, you spend a few years there, then they open the new ballpark and, uh, you know, great ballpark. And you might've had the first big moment at that new ballpark in 2000, when you hit the three run pinch hit Homer against the Mets uh, in the division series. And I had Sean Estes on the show and um, he, he told me uh, how stupid he was for his reckless base running that forced him <laughs> to listen to the crowd uh, from the training room uh, <laughs> when that moment happened. So did you feel like you guys had that game in the bag because you guys lost that game? And it's, it's weird yeah. because whenever we hear that moment and giants lore, and it's still brought up to this day, you know, we don't really associate a loss with it. So, I mean, how big yeah. was that moment? Cause that might've been the first big one at that new ballpark in the first year. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And I run into people to this day that say that's the loudest they've ever heard that, that ballpark. Uh, the great Ted Robinson was on the call and I, I've done some work with Ted at the Pac-12 network and he always talks about it. Uh, yeah, most people don't realize that that tied up the game. It was a, it was a three-run pinch hit. I didn't start that game. I think the Mets were pitching Al Leiter, so I got the the game the game off cuz uh, against a tough lefty, but uh, I was down in the in the batting cages with our backup catcher Doug Mirabelli at the time and we were we were actually playing home run derby in the cage. We were hitting off the machine and we were working on uh, we were working on our launch angle. We were working on hitting the ball to the corner of the net. And then uh, Ron Wotus came down and said, Hey, if Ramon Martinez uh, gets up, he's due up fifth this inning, you got him. So I said, okay. So I took a few more swings with Doug. And when I left, he's like, go get him. And then, um, yeah, I worked a good count off Benitez. I think it was 2-0. And then once again, I was sitting fastball in, down and in. And I said, this, I, I wasn't trying to hit a home run. I was just trying to drive the ball. And he left it down and in, which was my sweet spot. And um, my launch angle was good. I guess my exit velocity was good. And uh, I actually crushed that thing. And I think it went one row into the, because the wind was blowing in and across from center field to right field and in through those archways. And when I hit it, I thought it was, no, I thought it was going to be a splash hit. I was just hoping it would be fair. And then uh, it ends up going in the first row. Uh, we tie the game and then the Mets came right back in the 10th and scored in the top of the 10th to run and they ended up beating us. And it was awful quiet. We thought we had him when I came around in the dugout. and um, We had to get on a plane that night, fly to New York. And then I think Bobby Jones threw a one hitter against us and the, the series was over. So it happened really fast and it was a good moment. I wish, obviously we, we could have won that game. Uh, it felt like we were going to win, but um, yeah, it didn't happen. There's a few years there where it didn't happen. And, and I know that you have a ring from 2010, 2014, 2012, as a special assistant with the team, is there still, I mean, I'm sure there's still something missing when you think yeah. back to those early 2000 teams with, you know, 2002, even 2003. 
I mean, how much do you still think about those teams and the, the opportunities that you guys had? A lot. I think going back to 97, when it was a bunch of new guys, it was myself and Jeff Kent, and Billy Miller, Rich Aurelia, Jose Vizcaino, um, Daryl Hamilton in center field. And we won the West that year, that, that epic series against the Dodgers. And then we kind of got hosed in the, uh, the, the, the format of the playoffs was two out of three, but we had to go to Miami, play the Marlins. They hosted the first two games and then we would go back home for three if necessary. And we ended up losing the first two in Miami, come home and they beat us. Um, so I think the scheduling got it wrong because we were the, they were the wild card and we were the better team, but we had to go to their place for, we should have been hosting for two. Uh, and then you've seen it, it now it's two, it was two, two, one back then it was two there and three at home. So bad scheduling by the major league uh, baseball department, uh, 2000, you know, we thought we had a shot. We had a really good team. Uh, the Mets got us once again in, in 02. Uh, I really thought I was out in the field in Anaheim stadium and here's a team that I played for the angels. I was sitting there going, we got seven outs to go. We're going to be the first team ever in San Francisco to, to get a ring. And then things unravel Spezio home run, the Erstad home run the next inning. And then, uh, and then 03, I thought we had a good chance at playing against the Marlins again. Uh, so didn't work out, but I think we started something special, you know, with the new ballpark in 2000 that, that kind of launched the giants. Cause the giants were not very good for a lot of years there, uh, 94, five, six. And then we kind of picked it up and kind of led the way for the, the teams that won it. So, uh, yeah, I, I think about it a lot. I think about the O2 series a lot and uh, wish that uh, I had the ring from, from playing and we would have been the first team in San Francisco. It didn't work out. It's the way sports go, but um, they've had a lot of success success since then. So you, this next part, you probably get asked this a ton and I'm not going to ask you to dig into the story because we all know it. We all know what happened, but how often do you get asked about the Darren Baker play and picking up Darren yeah. Baker at the plate in 2002? How often does oh, that come up? Uh, yeah, a lot of people. It's just something that you've never seen before and that you never will see it. <laughs> I mean, Darren was three years old and Dusty let a lot of the kids in the dugout during the games. And he was actually arguing with the head bat boy because his favorite player was Kenny Lofton. So the head bat boy said, no, you're not going out there. There's, I was on third and uh, David Bell was on second. And I guess when Kenny hit the ball, uh, Darren just shot out and didn't listen to the head bat boy. And I, I saw him come out of the dugout because I was tagging up the ball's deep right field. David Bell was halfway. And I saw the whole thing develop. I saw Darren going, and the bat, the bat was in the left-handed batter's box. I knew exactly what he was doing. Benji Molina's catching. Mike Riley was the home plate umpire. And all I could hear was like, get him out of the way, because there was there might have been a play behind me. Uh, David Bell was right behind me. So luckily, I, I, I got his jacket, and I hit home plate, kicked the bat out of the way, and lifted him up. And uh, Yeah, it's something that uh, – you've never seen before and you never will see it again because the rules have changed, but I get asked about a lot. It's just anybody in my situation would have probably done the same thing. So luckily I got a good grab on his jacket. And the ironic thing is I have a picture of my office and with the background and nobody saw it happen because everybody was looking at David Bell come in. They were looking at the ball fall in. So even Dusty, no one knew what would happen until they saw the replay on TV or the news that night. So it was pretty, it was pretty funny. How often do you talk to Darren? Do you still keep in touch with him? Um, I don't. I, I did some work for the Pac-12 network. I did some broadcasting for about seven years. When he was at Cal, I did some of their games and saw Dusty in the stand. So I actually did an interview with, with Darren about that. And he doesn't remember it at all. 
um, which is, you know, he was three years old. We, we probably, none of us remember what we were doing at three years old, but, uh, but he's, uh, yeah, he's into pro ball. Now I think he's with the Washington nationals and the minor leagues and he's a pretty good player. So he's got a chance as a second baseman, but, um, it was fun to, to reminisce about it and, and bring it up. But yeah, he doesn't remember it at all. Never remembers running out there. Uh, pretty funny. Yeah, no, it was hilarious. I always see the clips of it and I always laugh. Um, a few more things here. I mean, you, you finish off in Boston and then in 2008, you signed this, this contract with the Giants and you not only get to retire with the organization, but you get added on the 40 man roster and I, I, the teams won't do this. I don't think ever again, they wouldn't, they, for whatever reason, uh, and, and you get penciled into the starting lineup, you know, you get some money out of it. It's great. How did that even happen? Like we've, we've seen before where, you know, they take the, they put on the uniform and you go out to the position, but the 40 man roster, you get added, you know, how did, how did all of this even come about? Well, it was Brian Sabian's idea. Brian and I go way back. He was the director of the minor leagues with the Yankees. Him and Brian Cashman, who's now right. a GM for the Yankees, ran the minor leagues when I was with the Yankees in the minor leagues. So he traded me away to the Angels, and then he traded me, traded back to me when he got the Giants GM job in 97. Um, I think part of it, too, was my last year with the Giants. Not many people know this. In, in 05, I was trying to re-sign with them. I wanted, I was... I was 38 at the time and I wanted to try and play till I was 40 and wanted to come back to the Giants as a left-handed bench player or whatever. And um, the talks didn't really go down as, as I felt they should have. And the Giants waited, I think, till the last day and a half hour before the deadline. Then they called me and said, we're not bringing you back. And uh, I wasn't happy. My agent wasn't happy. I thought that they'd handled it the wrong way. Um, Peter McGowan, Larry Bear, and Saving all trying to call me. I didn't answer any of their calls for a few days because I wasn't happy. I'd spent nine years there and thought I deserved a little more respect than that. I didn't care which direction they were going. And just because now I, I couldn't probably get a job with the team. Uh, Boston ended up coming in because of Terry Francona. But um, anyways, that went down. I, I wasn't too pleased with the way things happened. And then when I retired with the Red Sox, Brian Saving came back to me and said, we want you to retire as a giant. I think part of that was because of the way it had ended. Um, and I, I told him I didn't want to do it. I said, I don't, I don't want to do it. You don't have to do it. He said, no, we're doing it. You're coming back. You're going to be in uniform. You're going to take the field. I said, I, I was, I'm not one about the spotlight or uh, extra pats on the back. I, I told him, no, I didn't want to do it. And then uh, he said, think about it and call me a day later. I said, I still don't want to do it. He said, well, we're doing it. We're already making, so I, but okay, I guess I got to do it. But uh, it was kind of cool. I ran out there and got to take the field. And uh, yeah, I got, I got one day of pay. It was a couple thousand dollars. And uh, the infielders at the time were throwing me balls in the dirt. And luckily I was picking them. Then they came out and replaced me. I, I forget who was on the team at the time, maybe Ryan Klesko or somebody else. But, you know, that was kind of cool. And then I did, did some work for them after I was done, some roving and some coaching, special assistant stuff, did some broadcasting. So. Uh, still live up here in the Bay Area, and uh, that's how that all came about. But um, I didn't want to do it. I told Brian Saban, but we we went back. We go back a long time. I really respect Brian. Um, he did a lot for me in my career, and um, so that's how that happened. Yeah, and and wrapping up here, you know, you called a few games uh, a few years back, and and I know you you mentioned about the Pac-12 work that you've done. Um, 
And I think with the River Cats, maybe you filled in for a few games there. So is broadcasting yeah. still something you want to do? Maybe some coaching mixed in? Is that still something that you're interested in doing? Yeah, pretty open. I, I really enjoyed the broadcasting. I did uh, three games last year, not this past year, but 2021 during the COVID. Filled in for three games. Uh, and um, I did some after I retired. And they just threw me into the booth. I was right into what I was doing. and wasn't very good at it. But um, I worked for the Pac-12 Network for seven years, got really a lot of experience, worked with some great guys, Ted Robinson, uh, J.D. Long, who does like who does the Rams radio now. He's um, a bunch of, bunch of good guys. And then um, did the games last year for the Giants and thought I was going to get some games this year. I talked to some of the people in the organization and they thought I was going to maybe get some games this year. It didn't happen. Um, you know, it's tough as you get as tough as you get older. There's new guys up and coming, but it's still something I love to do. I got some great feedback last year when I did the games. I think people enjoyed having a, a hitter in the booth. The Giants are very heavy uh, pitching wise with their color commentary guys, and uh, I think it was refreshing to have a hitter's point of view uh, in the booth. So hopefully something happens. Um, coaching is still a, a possibility. I love to be. Uh, maybe a first base coach or an infield instructor on a big league team. I've got a bunch of buddies that are managing in the big leagues now, and I keep checking in with them and say, Hey, if you got an opening, uh, I, I'm an empty nester now with kids are all out of the house. It's just, just my wife and I. So we're, we're game for picking up and getting back into baseball somehow, either broadcasting or coaching. So hopefully something works out, keep all my uh, doors open and avenues open. And uh, I just, I love the game. I, I love baseball. Like, uh, I think it's still the, the, the best sport out there and it's, it, it's every day, right? You, it's, I, I didn't realize how many people's lives revolve around baseball at seven o'clock at night, you turn on the game, you know, who, who are we playing if we're on the road or at home? And it's, it's a big part of people's lives, the baseball season. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, JT, this was great, man. I appreciate you coming on yeah, the show. Awesome. Um, and uh, we probably went a little bit over, but I mean, we could do, I mean, <laughs> if you want to do a separate episode on uh, continuing to talk about analytics, because I know that's a field that you love. <laughs> we could it's got its place, but I, it, 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 it also has some, I, I think that, that players would benefit from not so much information sometimes. Like, I'm right there you know, with you. Like the 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 iPads in in, in the dugout after that weird. guys go their their nose is right at, like what like we we never had that it's like what are you looking at you just you know I mean it's too much information is not you got you still got to be an athlete you still got to go out and you still got to react you still got to believe in yourself and trust yourself and too much information can can clog up our brain and not make us the the player and the athlete that we can uh, that we can be so. And the worst um, one is when a utility guy pinch hits for someone and the pitching coach comes out to the mound as if the yeah. pitcher doesn't know how to attack this guy hitting 210 with no right. power, you know? So it's, yeah. There's just a, yeah, we could do a separate talk. There's just a lot of things in baseball now. It's just, you know, the, the runner on second base <laughs> in extra innings. I'm like, is this, what is it? Is this like little, a little league, like a uh, tournament on the weekend where the sun's going down and, it's just There's a I, game I, after they have to get the game after. In. Yeah, exactly. And I was broadcasting a game last year and I, it was the giants and the angels. And I never realized that it, it was about where the lineup was with the guy on second base. I remember the giants had the bottom of their lineup of seven, eight, nine. So they're trying to bump the guy over. Then the angels would come up and they're in a different part of their order. They had like three, four and five coming up. So they're just slugging. 
And then, you know, the, the guys with the card in their back pocket look into where, <laughs> you know, and now the, the headset with the pitcher and the catcher, and there's just a lot of things. I, some of the rule changes next year, I think are going to be great. You know, I, I, I'm all for putting two guys on each side of the diamond. Um, I think one of the things you're going to see is you're going to see shortstops and second basemen start making some great plays again because you're yeah, going to have dives. to range. Yeah. You don't, you don't see that nowadays. You don't see diving plays because there's three guys on one side of the infield, the ball's sit over there, no one dives. You're going to see some great gold glove plays next year at second base, short, third, because guys are going to have to range and cover some ground. And um, I, I never felt like you should be told where to play your defense. I think you could, should be able to play them wherever you are, wherever you want, but it's kind of gone to the extreme. It's, it's, it kind of takes the fun out of watching guys make great plays. And I think you're going to see that next year. I think that, I think the pitch clock is great. I think the batter, you know, not leaving the, the batter's box or whatever is, I mean, I, I watched Barry Bonds for nine years. Barry Bonds never left the batter's box. He got in there and he's like, let's go, let's play some hardball. It's the way, it's the way it is. Now guys are stepping out, fixing their gloves, fix their helmet. They've got eight pieces of protective gear on them. And so anyways, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can't wait for those, those uh, upcoming discussions for sure. JT, thank yeah. you. I appreciate right. it. This is a lot of fun. And uh, of course you guys could follow him uh, on Twitter. He's not very active on Twitter though. His Twitter is no, I'm not uh, a big Twitter guy. I don't really care what people think. I don't really care. Good for you. Yeah. Save it. Yeah. I've kind of held my ground and um, I guess I don't want people to find me. I guess it's, yeah, that, that's kind of gone sideways. So I, no one really cares what I think anyway. So who cares? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I like that. Save it. I'm going to use that. Yeah. Save it. So, Save <laughs> but anyways, it. if you, if you just want to look at his profile, then it's at JT snow six. If you want to be just stare at an empty profile, go ahead and do that. And of course, follow the podcast <laughs> right. on Twitter and Instagram at Rizzo cast. Uh, you can follow us on, we're on Spotify, Apple podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. So go check us out as well. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah. And see you next time.